Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning, Downtown Hope. Uh, my name is Colin. I am the uh, student director here. Um, and just reiterating what David said, uh, it is so nice to know that we are not, uh, we are not, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter the location. We're not defined by um, meeting together in person, but we are united and defined by uh, being brothers and sisters in Christ, being united by what he has done for us in this season um, it is ever, it's even more true and more relevant to speak and to remember that reality as, as isolation creeps in, as circumstances come and go. Um, but throughout this series, we've, we've really received tremendous insight surrounding uh, this, this theme of pressing on. Uh, we've been encouraged in week one by Joey to, to, we've been encouraged to be an encouragement. Uh, and we've seen how hard circumstances can be used to bring glory to God. We've seen how to be united and share in Christ's humility. And last week, David brought us a really awesome message for those of us like myself who strive to justify our lives through creating a resume uh, that just lists our achievements. And this week, our passage is still from chapter three. And and a lot of theologians actually believe that Paul had a certain group of Christians in mind when he wrote this passage. See, this sect was known as the Antinomians. They were those people who uh, denied necessarily, denied that there was, uh, any, there was not any law at all in the Christian life, meaning they declared that they were within the grace of God and that therefore uh, it did not matter what they did. God would forgive. So there's really no further discipline, so to speak, and there, there really was no further effort necessary. And so if you see today, this passage includes the theme of our very message and it pushes back on the belief that was held by this sect. Let's, so we're going to read chapter 3 together, starting in verse 12. Would you uh, join me in read, opening your Bibles? It, starting in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or if I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straying forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, uh, for this journey through the book of Philippians. We thank you, God, for um, the different messages that you've brought into our lives in, in an ever-present uh, circumstance where we need to hear the truths of who you are and your characteristics and, and the promises that we need to be reminded of, Lord, that you owe, you are guaranteed to fulfill. Heavenly Father, I pray today, God, if anything, uh, that, Lord, the, your words would just uh, be what resonate on our hearts, 
God, that we would be able to at least grab a truth from your scripture and not just know it, God, but apply it to our lives. That, Lord, we would take it and, and let it resonate in, in the daily ins and outs of our individual relationships and roles that happen week by week. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. So the title of today's message is The Unavoidable Race. See, I have to be completely honest with all of you guys. Uh, I really don't like analogies having to do with running a race. And, and doing this sermon was actually a struggle for me. Uh, and, and there's a really good reason for this too, I promise. It's, the reality is, is that I literally hate running. Like with a passion, I hate it. You see, a lot of people I know and a lot of my friends um, are really into 5Ks. They're really into marathons and they're always running, right? Or, or they're always preparing for the next race, so to speak. But you will never find me doing that. <laughs> And ironically, though, I played a sport uh, that has forced me to run more than most of the other sports, right? I played soccer. Uh, usually, like professional soccer players, they say, can run eight to nine miles every game. Um, but I, no matter what, I still hated running so much that I would literally do whatever I could to avoid having to do it in high school. So most of the soccer team in the offseason in the spring uh, would run track to stay in shape for soccer. And because and I was the person that followed the crowd at that time, uh, I followed suit and ran track with them. Um, but I didn't think track really could be any worse uh, than what we had to do for soccer and the amount of r running we had to do. But I never fully realized how much I hated running until I was forced to run in a circle over and over again. And I only ran the 400 and the 200 and the 100, um, but I was literally still despising every single moment on what I would like to call that circle of death that we call a track. And, and actually, I, I disliked it so much that uh, when I was a senior in high school, I actually switched to pole vaulting. So I had this like amazing epiphany my senior year that literally the distance pole vaulters had to run was probably the shortest distance I could get away with and still be kind of like a contributing factor and still have running. It was like, I think it's like 60 meters or something like that. So I, I had this, I connected the dots and I realized, all right, this is the shortest distance. This is the event I'm gonna do this year. And, but there, no matter how hard I tried to avoid running, no matter how much I hated it, there was one day a year. There was one day a year I knew and all of my friends knew uh, that we couldn't avoid the track. There was one day where all of us knew a race would be taking place. And see, this annual event was the first day of soccer preseason, okay? I, I literally was thinking about it this week and cringing at the thought and the memories of this moment because every year, the first day of preseason practice, we are not told to bring anything but our running shoes and water, right? This day was literally designed by the coaches to weed out the people whose hearts were really not in it. They always made cuts solely based upon everybody's individual performance on the track that day. So we would show up bright and early on the first day of preseason and every guy would get out of their car and they, we all looked at each other really with empathy as we knew what was about to transpire. Most of us didn't eat because we knew that this day was notorious for making people throw up because we ran so much. It was nuts, but, but it really did get me thinking. And, and for me, I had, to, I ha I had this thought that no matter really how much I hated running, there was, there was something that I was willing to run for. And, and the truth is that all of us, we all have things that we are willing to run for. We are all running for something. And, and what I'm trying to say right now is that we all have a race that we're running. 
okay? And this race that we are running, like my first day of preseason, can't be avoided. This is the race that Paul is referring to here in this passage, and we'll refer to it today as the marathon of life. And whether you like it or not, you are in it. You have been registered, and the starter already has shot his gun up in the air, and we are moving. And whether we feel like we're actually moving right now or not, whether we're running in motion or we're staying in place, we're still in this race. And this race ain't no measly 5K, right? This is, this is a marathon. How many of you guys would agree with me, especially in this season, that life has felt like a marathon? And in this passage, Paul gives us some clarifying truth that will allow us to run the race of life well with everything that we have. But before I get to that, I want to make sure that you and I and everybody in our local body is tracking along with the series and the goal behind Philippians and the theme Press On because See, Paul uses the title of our series twice in my passage, and it has been intimidating because I feel like it's climactic, and I don't know if I'm going to convey properly the intensity of this, but he's trying to convey a point, and his point is to give us a sense of how we are to be running this marathon of life. So, when you unpack this a little bit more, you'll begin to understand that the phrase press on and the word persecute actually have a similar meaning. See, Paul uses the word persecute in the first couple verses. I believe it's either six, seven, or eight when in, in, this, in the chapter three when he's talking about how he persecuted Christians before uh, he met Christ on that road to Damascus. So Paul uses this word persecute to help us understand the meaning behind press on. And this word persecute, I want to tell you, is not for the faint of heart persecution, the word persecute, to persecute something, has this underlying tone that brings with it a sense of violent intensity. And when you use, when Paul uses this phrase, press on, he is actually saying it carries that same weight with it. So in this passage, twice, Paul uses the same phrase, press on, or in other words, he is saying vigorously and intensely continue moving forward. So Understand me, this series, the, the, the phrase press on, this is not a call from Paul to sit back and wait out the storm. This is not a call to bunker down and find contentment. This is a call for all of us to violently continue running this race with everything that we have. John Wesley explained it this way. He said it's a pursuit with the whole bent and vigor of our soul. But by comparing ourselves to Paul, and his motivation and how he just described it, his intensity to, and, his, and his focus and staying on track to continue running, I have to ask us as a body, do we really feel that motivated in our pursuit of Christ? Like, do we feel that much urgency to finish well? Do we have that same sense of deep purpose that Paul did? So if you think about the church in America over the last couple of years, right, what comes to mind? See, in a culture that moves faster, in a culture that moves harder than any other culture, you think that this passage would be easy for most of us to understand, right? Running hard, we grind every day to achieve our dreams, we can, to be all that we can be, the motto of the American culture. But interestingly enough, in regards to faith, the American church as a whole has seemed to be more and more complacent. 
And I think we have found ourselves in a culture and specifically in a season right now where a lot of us have stopped moving for one reason or another. And ironically, the fastest and the busiest nation known for its hard work, known for its grit, its fast-paced life is actually slowing down when it comes to the only race that matters. See, this fast-paced lifestyle of grinding and striving in our culture has brought with it worldly treasures, but I believe at the sake of heavenly ones. We've seen a sense of complacency start to infiltrate the body, and today's passage is speaking directly to that, but today I'm not talking to the church in America. Today I'm speaking to our local body. I'm speaking to myself. Listen, If you've been feeling disengaged in this season, if you've been feeling complacent, if you've been feeling like you wish you could have had the relationship with Christ like you did when you first met him, I want you to know that you're not alone. See, God has used this season, specifically COVID, I think, to prune a lot of us. He's used this season to tear down idols in our lives. It's been hard and it's been overwhelming, but listen, don't stop now. Paul is calling you and me in this passage to violently and intensely run this marathon of life. So let's look at how Paul ran in this manner and how we as a body can do the same. Like I said earlier, we're all running for something, right? Even if you struggle to get out of bed in the morning, there's still something motivating you to do so. There's a, there's a desire or there's a hope however small it is, for something to come. See, you may be pursuing that CEO job or you may be the mom who can barely move and is solely motivated by the fact that there's kids to take care of. Whatever the case may be, something keeps us going. And in this passage, Paul is driven by something. He says in verse 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of this thing. But one thing I do I forget what is behind and I strain forward to what is ahead, meaning I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, there is something he knows, but he's not fully received. Have you ever, ever felt that tension? It's the tension of the parent, parent who struggles with a rebellious child. It's the struggle of the middle school or high school student who is doing whatever they can to fit in and be liked. It is the struggle of finding and trying to get that promotion in your career. The truth is, though, there can be a lot of things that drive us in this life. And these things, both good and bad, what they do is they direct our steps, right? Or the path that we choose to take in this race marked out before us, this marathon of life. We have all come into contact with things that we believe are worthy of our pursuit, and, and there are things we try to attain. There are things that we chase after. And Paul here has a clear vision for what he desires. And he is running full force violently to attain this thing. Really, Paul's end goal, Paul's destination is dictating his ability to violently continue pressing on. Think about it this way. I mean, have you ever wondered why the windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror? You probably haven't right? But, but just in case you don't know, when you are driving en route to your destination, the most important thing to know and see is what is in front of you. If you are looking at your rear view mirror 90 to 99 percent of the time, you are going to be, well, you're just not going to make it to your destination, right? You will literally veer off course and actually most likely you will run somebody else's, you will ruin somebody else's journey as well. 
And so that is why Paul says that he is forgetting what is behind because it doesn't matter what happened yesterday when you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what happened years ago when you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And so when he says he's forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, what is ahead he's saying, I am focusing on the windshield. I am focusing on my goal because those things are only gonna hold me back. You see, your prize, your prize, the things that you desire, they also determine what your motivation and the routes that you take. Your prize, the destination or the finish line determines how your race is gonna go. See, there is only one prize that, that can give you and I the ability to press on like Paul. There is only one goal that we can set that will keep us running hard until the end of the marathon of our life. What is this prize that he is trying to attain? You know, some would say heaven, right? Which is true, but it's not just a location. See, what Paul's talking about here is that it's not just the destination of heaven. It's, it's really about who resides there. See, the goal, the prize that Paul is straining for is Christ. And the goal and the prize at the end of the marathon of life is to have Jesus in his fullness entirely. See, the prize will be this complete knowledge, the complete rule, and the complete righteousness of Christ. You see, on the road to Damascus, when God allowed Paul to catch a glimpse of who he was, that moment, it shattered every other thing that Paul had ever desired. That road to Damascus moment for Paul made all of his goals, all of his dreams, seem like they were complete, as David said last week, garbage. And in this moment, Paul caught a glimpse of God's indescribable worth and value. And Paul finally understood, caught a glimpse of God's character. And now all Paul wants to know, want, all Paul wants is to know God and have God reveal more of who he is. This is his goal. This is his prize. And God tells us here, and also in Jeremiah chapter nine, it says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, catch this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. So is the end goal or prize heaven? Of course, but it's the implications of heaven for us that are the real prize. See, the real goal and the motivation for every human being should be to know God and to anticipate the day when you will know him fully. In the words of J.I. Packer, this is his quote. He says, what makes life worthwhile or what makes the unavoidable race, the marathon of life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance in this, the, and, and in this, the Christian has in a way that no other person has for what higher, more exalted, more compelling goal could there be than to know God? In this passage, Paul is telling us to set this goal and to seek this prize, this destination, this objective, 
is what fuels Paul's ability to press on. See, when you come to faith in Christ, it is only because he has made himself known to you first. And that is what we call grace, right? And when God made himself known to us through Christ, he gave you and I the opportunity to know him and to be made into a new creation. His glory and his righteousness are now things that we have access to and possess through Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. God not only made a way for you to know about him, but to be united with him. And in Christ, you are now loved and cared for by God himself, right? And that's, and that's a lot to unpack, but, but that's what keeps us going and that's what keeps Paul going. That is, what meant, that is what it's meant when we say work out your salvation to seek to know God more and more until we know him fully face to face at the end of our race. Keep running after that. Keep trying to understand the implications of the gospel for our lives. Paul was motivated from the moment God made himself known and made Paul a new creation. And now Paul is straining forward to attain him, to be conformed into his image from one degree to the next. And one day, like Paul, we will receive the prize and attain Christ completely. Think about it for a second in context of relationship. The quality and the depth by which you know somebody, right, is really not up to you. So it's really up to the other person because you can only know someone by how much they reveal to you. See, we know God reveals himself in creation. And I would encourage every one of you, if you felt locked up in your house, to get outside and go to a large body of water or watch a sunset and catch a glimpse of the worthiness of God. But to really know God, he would have to really make himself known. And so he did. And so to really know God, we have to know Christ. Because to really know Christ is to know God. And we must violently, like we talked about, this word persecution and pressing on, we must violently ask, seek, knock for God to make himself known to us daily. In this season, in order to press on, we must listen to God's word and receive it. We must take note of God's character and nature as his word and his works reveal it to us. And we must accept his invitations to do what he commands. And we also must rejoice and be thankful in the love that he has shown us by approaching us and drawing us in and letting us get a glimpse of who he is. And so when you seek to know God, you will find that you actually, as a result, discover life itself. It's this, in this unavoidable marathon of life, the key to pressing on is knowing the one who knows the course and all of its runners. To know God brings an intimate relationship in which you find something worth running for. See, God is glorified when we know him. And that is the motivation. That is the, the well that brings forth the endurance and the motivation for us. See, those who really and intimately know God, they have a great energy for him. They find a joy in bringing him glory. But it's hard though. Because, because sometimes how much we know about God doesn't always correlate to the depth of our relationship with him. Right, sometimes this reality plays out 
in our own marathon of life. I mean, look at Paul's life, for example. The most religious man with the most knowledge of scripture, of the holy scriptures, he could recite and tell you any story from Jewish history in the things that God did. He knew a lot about him. But yet, before this road and encounter on Damascus, he wasn't united and didn't have this intimate relationship. So how do we get to know God in a way, in a way that keeps us moving, in a way that keeps us violently, aggressively pushing forward? Well, there's really two main ways you get to know anybody in life, right? One way is to hear about them from somebody else, and another is to hear from them uh, yourself and walk with them in life. And so the advantage that we have in developing our relationship with God is that he tells us about himself and his word and in scripture, his self-revelation. So step one, I wanna encourage you guys, get into God's word in this season. Don't let the, the, the weirdness and the craziness of our circumstances take that out of your life. If you don't have a plan, connect to the daily Whatever you need to do, dive into God's word. Don't, and don't, don't skip the Old Testament because he reveals himself there too. But get into God's word. And step two is to engage in prayer. I'm saying let's take our before meal prayers and really bring a violent intensity to them. See, listen for God's response when you pray by keeping your eyes open to see him reveal himself by what he does and what he says in his word. So we're gonna get in God's word. We're gonna be engagingly pursuing through prayer. And then step three I want you to understand is to walk with God. If we really wanna know God, we have to walk with him daily. We have to trust him in every circumstance. We have to live according to his word. We have to surrender to him. We have to choose to allow our own personal will to be swallowed up to his. This is the key to knowing God deeply. So it may mean that we never have answers for the troubles that we face like Job did. Or it may mean saying yes to his will before we even know what that means. But surrendering to God comes before intimacy with God. And when, God, when Paul encountered the worthiness of Christ on the road to Damascus, he got an honest glimpse of God's worth. He also saw the reality of who he was. And his response was a complete 180, surrendering of his will to the Lord's because his prize, this destination, everything that he wanted before is now wiped away and seen as rubbish. And when he found Christ, all he wanted to do was know him more and more intimately. As Paul calls us to press on and strain for this prize, he's calling you and I to seek to know Christ before anything else. He's calling for all of us before we leave today to stop measuring ourselves by our knowledge about God and to stop measuring ourselves by our gifts and the things that we do for the church on a weekly basis. Instead, we are called to run hard after Christ and measure ourselves by how we seek him in the scriptures how we surrender to him, how we pray, and how we walk day by day, trusting him in every circumstance. In this unavoidable race, we have a prize worth running for. With every stride we choose to take towards knowing God, we will be transformed from one degree 
of glory to the next. So downtown hope, as I invite the worship team to come up. In this season, let's not sit back and wait out the storm. Let's not bunker down and hope things just get better. Let's violently press on to know Christ. Let's leave behind yesterday in the weeks previous, like Paul said, leaving what's behind, not focusing on the rearview mirror, but only what's ahead. Leave behind your past sin, leave behind your past success, and pursue with your soul the God who has made himself known to us. And in the words of A.W. Tozer, you can see God from anywhere if your mind is set to love and obey him. Thank you.